Welcome to the Wesley Word. Um, are we looking at what chapter one last week? Got chapter two this week, and then uh, we'll look at three and four the next few weeks, and then we'll get back into our senior perspectives. Um, we talked about uh, as we sort of introduced the letter last week that the letter to the Philippians is known as Paul's letter of joy. It's a letter of joy. Over 14 times it mentions joy and gladness and rejoice. Um, but we also mentioned the context there that Paul is writing from prison, right? And this dude's like locked up in a prison cell, and yet he's writing about joy. Um, and so we're looking at how do we find joy, and even how do we find joy oftentimes in the midst of our own adversity and such. And so last week, uh, two things that we picked up, and I hope that you worked on this this week perhaps. I challenge you for two things. I just looked at our, um, what we can learn from Paul in there. The first thing was um, this question that came up is, how can we be a Timothy to others? How can we be um, an Ephroditus uh, to others? Who's to change his name? That's hard to say. Um, essentially, who are you encouraging? And I invited you last week to write down two names in your notes or in your head, and two people, maybe people you agree with, maybe you disagree with, but two people um, that you could reach out to this past week and be an encourager, and maybe help them find joy by the way that you support and encourage them. I'm not going to call you out if you didn't do it, but maybe think about, you know, maybe, oh yeah, two more people pop in mind. I'm going to work on that, right? So who were you a Timothy to? Who were you an Ephroditus to? Who were you encouraging this past week? And then the second thing we looked at, how we found joy in the midst of adversity, we were reminded, sorry, that Paul was in prison, and yet he seemed to find this silver lining, right? He even said, like, yo, I'm in prison, but, you know, these guards wouldn't have known Jesus if I wasn't here, right? And so we began to say, what would it look like if we prayed every day, God, Whatever adversity that I'm going through in my life, help wring the most good out of it that you possibly can. God, help me find, help me see the opportunity that's here in this adversity and see how God might use that eventually for good. So those are two things we looked at last week. This week we're going to look at chapter two in Philippians. Um, it's a cool chapter. It's a fun chapter. Um, actually, kind of hard chapter. It's actually the chapter that we read at our wedding a long time ago, uh, 19 years. Yeah, rock and roll. Uh, I'm excited about that. Um, but hear, this, hear these words from uh, Philippians chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 1 through 5, 14, 15. If you're in Corinthians, you're not going to find Philippians, friends. <laughs> All right, here we go. If then there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 14, do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, in which you shine like stars in the world. That's our reading for today. And so what we're getting at today, and this is, you know, kind of an uncomfy topic, so maybe squirm a little bit, but we're looking at how do we find, how do we even find joy even when we're in the midst of conflict, right? Maybe another way, how do we help prevent conflict from sucking the joy out of our lives, right? Um, Megan put a vacuum there. She asked me what we were talking about, and I kind of mentioned that. So that's where the vacuums come from on your, on your name tags, if you're curious what that was. Um, and I don't know about you, but when I'm in conflict, I have a hard time finding joy. Right? Anybody else there? Um, you may not follow like, much in the United Methodist Church, but there's a whole lot of stuff going on. And as a pastor, I'm kind of stuck in the middle of it sometimes. And 
it is like it can be soul sucking sometimes to talk to colleagues or see hear what's going on in other churches. Um, if I'm ever in an argument with relatives or friends, like never my wife, but anybody else, you know, right? Um, it, it is it is hard to find joy when you are you know butting heads with someone. The truth is, we all deal with conflict sometime, right? It's a part of life, and and it's not just in our own like homes and our circles of friends. I mean, I've been on this earth for 40 years now, and I feel like we are in the most polarized, conflicted, tense time that I've ever experienced, right? It's all around us. In the last few years, whether it was the mass debate or um, Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter and all the different things and the elections and all this sort of stuff. And again, all this conflict is, is normal, but how do we deal with it, right? Conflict happens when I was preaching every Sunday at Clemson UMC. There are people that left because they didn't agree with some of the stuff that I said in a couple sermons. There were people at Wesley who have left before because they didn't agree with something I said in one um, talk. And friends, if you're looking for a pastor you're going to agree with every time, I like I have a colleague who says that that's what you're looking for. Go ahead and get ordained online. Set yourself up in the mirror and preach to yourself every single Sunday because that's the only person that you're probably going to agree with every single time when they are speaking, right? We're going to be in conflict sometimes. We're going to disagree. But how do we work through that, right? We see conflict. Don't worry, there's hope here, friends, right? But like, there's hope, there's conflicts everywhere, even in the scripture, right? Even in scripture, every just about every New Testament book, every New Testament letter was written in response to some conflict, right? I have yet to find a letter where Paul's like, "To all my people in Philippi, you're awesome. I love you. Keep going. Bye." Right? No, it's like I'm gonna call you out. Here's what's happening. Here's how we're going to fix it, right? Um, we see even in the Last Supper, Jesus goes out and he begins to plead. Right. Um, God, please make them one with each other. Um, right. And he even says, you'll know you're my followers by my by the way they love and the way they treat one another. Jesus knew that we would struggle to hold on to one another. And so he asked God for help in that. Right. In Philippians, get back to our chapter two here. Right. In Philippians uh, two, two, if you picked up on that, Paul says, make my joy complete. Now keep in mind that most things that are written in Scripture and Paul's letters are written in response to what is not happening. Right. So when he says in verse two. Chapter 2, verse 2, make my joy complete, be of the same mind. It means they ain't of the same mind, right? Um, having the same love, it means they're not loving each other the way they should. Um, being in full accord and of one mind, they are all over the place, right? He's saying, I need you to be the same mind. I need you to, you know, not being uniform, but have the same love, have the same mind about him. And he goes on in Philippians, and we'll get to chapter 3 and 4 coming up, but in chapter 4, and keep in mind, this letter was like written in front of the whole community. He calls out two people, right? He calls out um, Yudia and Syntek, uh, two women, and he's like, imagine being like in front of the church and people calling you out, right? I'm not going to call you my names here, right? But they're like, you know, hey, you two, you need to straighten up and get your lives right. You messed up the whole community, right? Um, that's kind of what he does here, right? He starts talking about this conflict and how we can get over this. In chapter three, which we'll talk about a little bit next week, he deals with this conflict that happens between these two um, diverging thoughts of theology, right? You had... Um, the legalists, uh, the Judaizers, um, one person called them the circumcision party, the ones who say, you know, we need to follow the law. And yes, you just came to faith and you're a Gentile, but you need to follow this law. You need to be circumcised, all this kind of stuff. This like hardcore fundamentalists, which we see some of that in today, versus what we would call the libertines back then, who were also like on the polar opposite side of that and said, no, we've got God's love. We've got God's grace. It doesn't matter what I do. Let's just party. We're here, right? And there were these two different conflicting things. Next week, we're going to talk about how we hold those intention and live into that. But there's conflict all over the place. With me on that? It happens, right? So the goal as a people of faith is how do we deal with it? How do we deal with it in a healthy way? How do we get 
how do we deal with it in a life-giving way so that we can be, like Paul says in verse 15, I love that, um, don't murmur, don't argue, do all these things so that you shine like stars in the world. How cool to be for people inside the faith, outside the faith, to see us as a people who shine like stars in the world because of the way that we show humility, the way that we show grace, the way that we show love towards one another. I think as we seek to not lose our joy in the midst of conflict, we focus on those things, humility, grace, and love, and the way that we treat each other. Because when we lose those things, we lose those things, that's how we end up at these, these deep, dark things, right? We think about the, the, you know, the massacre that happened with the Charleston Nine, right? Um, the 9-11s, the big things that happen, right? The hateful things happen because people allow their hearts to kind of brew and to, to get to this place where they lose humility, they lose grace, they lose love, and eventually they act out in these, these terrific ways, right? So what are we called to do, right? We look at 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Uh, if I speak in the tongues of humans and, an- and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal, right? We keep love within us. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, right? And in here, he's ta- what, talking about what is this type of love? Is this agape love? And I liked how one pastor put it. Um, he says, is agape love, as far as it relates to us and how we're called to love? He says, it's a dogged determination to care for you, to care for others, regardless of whether I agree with you or not, whether I'm in conflict with you or not, whether you treated me right or not, but I'm going to care for you and I'm going to be concerned for you. I'm going to put your needs above my needs because you are a beloved child of God and God has called me to love you, even when we disagree, right? That's the trick. How do we show love despite our disagreement, right? And part of this is keeping forgiveness at heart. Forgiveness is big. I get to do a lot of weddings as a pastor. It's one of my favorite things. Some pastors hate weddings, believe it or not. I love them. They're awesome. They're a lot of fun. And one of the passages that we read often that people choose is Colossians uh, chapter 3, verses 12 and such. And I like those language. Um, Hear this, Paul says, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, meekness, and patience, and bear one another. Some translations, translations say, put up with one another and forgive each other. Y'all, I'm, 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 I'm almost not able to see up here. I'm getting too old. This is bad, right? Um, but this idea of continuing to forgive each other, to bear with one another, to hold each other um, together. What does it do with Philippians? Paul writes about the conflict. We know he has conflict. Talks about it in the church, the differing sides, the two ladies, all the different things that are happening, right? Um, and he gives us an antidote for how to work on this divisiveness. And he does that, and this is the part that we read at our wedding, which is which is pretty cool. Um, do we have Philippians 3 or 4? Can we put 3 through 5 up there? That's not too much. Put you on the spot. Come on, Zach, you can do it. All right. Uh, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Right? Let's go back to that. Let's go back. Can we like read this together? Is that, can you all see that? Can we do this together? I believe it. Let's go. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Next verse. Let's go together. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Yes. Good, good, good. Yeah, let the same mind be in us that is in Christ Jesus, right? And then he goes on. I don't have this on the screen. I'll read this. I'm getting a headlamp for next week, guys. This is getting kind of crazy. Six through eight. This is like a famous um, hymn or poetry that Paul writes that we see. Um, 
be in the same mind that we just read that's, that was in Christ Jesus. It says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right? So Paul, in the midst of this conflict, with people fighting and arguing in the church, writes to them and says, don't try to win. Don't try to win. Instead, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Find some humility. Try to become of the same mind. Try to love each other, one another with the same love that God has given you. Right? And that's how we begin to deal with conflict. That's how, and I'm not going to always resolve it, but that's how we begin to not lose our joy and have our, our soul sucked out of us in the midst of conflict is when we can begin to see one another. When we continue to show kindness, even when we disagree. When we continue to show humility, even when we don't agree and we argue from time to time. To not think first about ourselves or our feelings or how many times we've been hurt or whether or not we have to be right or not. When we begin to continue to see each other as children of God and to love each other instead of trying to destroy one another. We see in Romans 12, 21, um, Paul writes, Don't be over, do not try to overcome evil. Our evil cannot be overcome with good. Whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. Evil can be overcome with good. It can't be overcome with evil, right? Um, it's so easy to be overcome by evil, bitterness, hate, etc. But instead, what does it look like for us to continue um, in good? Again, a quote you've probably seen thrown around a lot um, over the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, right? I love how he says, returning hate for hate only multiplies hate. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. He says those famous lines, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that, right? I'm not saying don't have conflict, right? I'm not saying don't stand up when we see injustice happening because we are called to speak up and to speak out in those cases when wrong is happening. But how do we do so from a spirit of humility? How do we do so from a spirit of love? How do we do so where we don't internalize the same hate and injustice that we are speaking out against? It's a fine line, but something that we are called to do. So how do we do this? How do we prevent going into like the dark side when we're like speaking up and into disagreement? And so um, as we kind of, eh, I'll say wrap up, almost wrapping up, um, I found it really helpful. Um, so my B-reel last night. Uh, I love me some Brene Brown, right? I love me some Brene Brown. And in it, she talks about her book, um, Braving the Wilderness. And anything she writes is awesome. But she sort of speaks to this, how do we deal with conflict and still love? How do we deal with conflict and still show humility? And she has a chapter in that book that I, I like it. She says, um, people are hard to hate close up, so move in. Right? People are hard to hate close up. What it means, it's easy to hate those people. It's easy to hate those groups. It's easy to hate the people that you, that you don't see. But when they're like your sister, when it's your brother, when it's your friend, when it's the person that you've got to eat across the table from, it's really hard to hate them. And so she says, move in a little bit, move in and get to know them, right? Um, so they're not groups, but they become individuals. And she said, you know, what happens there, you got to be kind of careful is that when you do that and when you engage, sometimes that makes a little more conflict. You might find yourself getting angry and that's okay. It's okay to get angry sometimes in the conflict. What's not okay is to stay there forever, right? Because when you stay there forever, that's a burden that none of us can bear for long. And that's when we begin to develop resentment. Resentment. That's when we begin to develop hate and the things that are unhealthy. But if we can linger there just a little bit to allow us to dig a little deeper, we can find some good things. And as she says, like, find good boundaries, right? Uh, I'm not saying if you're in conflict with someone who is going to harm you physically, right? Do not hear me say, 
stay, just get to know them a little bit more, right? No, make sure you're safe, friends, right? Um, the physical safety. And she even talks about emotional safety. You want to be careful there as well. But one of the things she says emotional safety is not, and sometimes we confuse it this way, she says emotional safety is not, look, we disagree, so I don't have to listen to you, right? I don't agree with your point of view. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, it might hurt my feelings. Um, you know, I think it's wrong. It doesn't measure up to my standard of life, and so I don't have time for you, right? That's not protecting your emotional safety. What she's getting at where we got to protect ourselves um, is this dehumanizing language and behavior. Um, and so if that's happening, that's when you want to step away. But I would also argue, I think many times we read ourselves in there as the victim, and sometimes we are. For many of us, sometimes it's easy for us to also possibly fall into the trap of being a dehumanizer, right? And we want to be careful on that. What happens when you dehumanize, right? Um, and this, this isn't a psychology talk, but I thought it was really interesting, right? Um, what happens is, right, um, we usually want the best for people, but when we dehumanize, that sort of erodes that. And that's how some of these big, big, bad things happen. But it's a process that happens, right? So it starts out with this, like, enemy image, and you start to paint them not as a person, but as the enemy. Um, you start to take sides, and you become angrier, angrier and angrier. You don't even know why you're angry anymore. We lose the ability to communicate. We lose the ability to, to, to listen to the other person. We lose the ability to empathize with where they are. Right? We other them, and in the worst case, we begin to think they're morally inferior. And in the case, sometimes, um, I'm not throwing the UMC under the bus, I'm part of the UMC, but like right now, it's like people are like this waging war of like good versus evil, right? There's good people everywhere, but that's sort of what we get stuck on when we dehumanize folks. And the scary thing is that it can happen to any of us if we're not careful, right? We got to stand up to it on both sides, whether you consider yourself a traditionalist and a conservative or a progressive liberal, when you hear hate, when you hear wrong things on either side, don't spoke to anybody, it should have your ears perk up, your skin should tingle, and you should be willing to say, no, that's, that's not right. They're people, and they matter too, right? So how do we prevent from dehumanizing? So what is healthy? How do we prevent this, right? Um, she mentions a little bit, sort of wrapping up here, um, so avoid this surface level um, this sounds weird. How do you like avoid major conflict and let that conflict grow into anger and to hate and to resentment? It's actually to avoid the surface level of agree to disagree. Now I've said that before, right? Um, but what she's getting at there is instead, and I think it's where Paul is getting at with this idea of humility um, and love and grace, is that rather than saying, if Justin and I have beef, which you know we don't have it very often, maybe like once a week, right? Uh, but no, <laughs> like instead of saying we're going to agree to disagree, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move in. And I'm going to say things like, help me understand, right? Tell me why. And I'm going to listen and we're going to try to find some, some basis there, right? Because what happens if we don't do that, if we just agree to disagree without engaging in the converse, certain conversations, then I'm going to make assumptions, right? And I'm going to become judgmental. And before long, I'm going to think things and misunderstand and start resenting him for things. That, oh, we're good, right? We're good. We're moving on from me and Justin, right? But we're going to start resenting each other when that wasn't even like what we were even talking about, right? And so at some point in time, you've got to embrace the conflict a little bit, have the conversations, ask to tell me more as we get there, right? And if you've done all that kind of stuff, you've talked about all that stuff, and you still get to the point where like, yo, we just, we're not going to see eye to eye, right? That's okay. But at least you have come human to human, person to person, you know where they're at, and you disagree fundamentally, that's okay, but you still leave knowing that's a person, that's a child of God, we just think differently and approach the world differently. Um... So that's what Brady Brown says. That's what Paul says. If you're a Ted Lasso fan, I was like wrapped up in his part too. If you remember that part where he says he was throwing darts one day, um, people were judging him. And 
like this dude changed my life uh, on the <laughs> listening to um, his show, right? And he said, like, be curious, not judgmental. And he was talking about how people have judged him all his life without asking him questions and getting into them. And you're, it's amazing how that happens, right? Um, Julie did the same thing for me one time on different words. We did a, you're going to believe this, but one time Clemson Wesley led a two-day day camp at the beginning of the semester because the school was out. And I was like, fundraiser. And so all the students came back. And I was like, guess what, guys? We're holding, we're holding a day camp. And they're like, what? Um, it was very dangerous. We're going to do it again. But... <laughs> There were some kids there that like, oh my goodness, like if they'd come back another day, I might just drop kick them out and be like, see you gone, right? Like there's a reason I do campus ministry and not like kids club on Wednesday, right? Um, but Julie was like, why don't you just lean into those kids and just love them as much as you can? Like these two boys in particular. And I was like, man, that's crazy, you know? But then like we were sitting across from snack and I was like, right, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna lean in, right? And I was like, asking them questions and getting to know them. Dude, these like terrorists on day one. <laughs> By day two, like we were like we were not really hugging, like skipping arm in arm, but like we were like we were people together. Like we like they were my best. Like I saw them in a restaurant a week later, and they were like, "What's up, Pastor Steve?" Right? And like the first day, I'd have been like ducking, hiding, or throwing a plate at them. But like you move in, and it's amazing. Um, several years ago, even here at, at Wesley, um, many of y'all were here, but there were some folks that I wasn't in conflict with, but I didn't like. We just were kind of rubbing wrong and tension and. I had a good friend of mine. I was like, well, do you know why or what's up? Maybe there. And I'm like, nah. And so I leaned in and like we went to coffee and we talked. And I realized that as it is most times in conflict, it wasn't about me. Right. It was something else. And we just sort of had our wires crossed a little bit. But when you lean in, when you have those difficult conversations, it's amazing how sometimes you find your joy restored a little bit. You can find disagreement without letting it boil into hate and resentment and anger. I'll wrap up by saying this. The defining mark of a Christian, over and over again, as we are called to be, the defining mark of a Christian is love. Even when we disagree with someone, the defining mark of who we are as children of God should be love. Even when we're in conflict with someone or some people, whoever it is, the defining mark of who we are should be founded and rooted in love. That is our calling to each other, to practice humility, to practice grace, to practice love, to love our neighbor, even when mm, we don't quite get them. We're called to love them. And the crazy thing happens when you begin to respond, even in the midst of conflict, with humility, when you begin to respond in the midst of conflict with kindness and love and forgiveness, you'll notice that, like, your shoulders drop a little bit and you're not quite ready to square up and let them go, right? Um... There's some joy that starts to happen there. There's some peace that you find. <coughs> and so I'll wrap up here. I said it three times. Preacher, preacher can say that, right? My voice is about to go, so you know it's going. What type of world do you want to create? What type of community do you want to create here at Clemson or SWU or Tri-County? What type of community do you want to create here at Clemson Wesley? What type of community do you want to have with your circle of friends, your family, your roommates? You want to have a community that can deal with conflict in healthy ways and still find humility in the midst of it, still find grace and forgiveness, and we can disagree but still be here one another. And if we want to do that, then we have to model it. We have to model that grace every day and forgiveness. We have to model that kindness, model that humility, so that we can end up, I would love for this campus ministry to be known, right, as shining stars in the world, not because of, like, how great we are, but shine like stars because we can find a way to be humble. We can find a way to be grace-filled, to be loving and forgiveness, even, 
even more pushed to the breaking conflict. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, we give you thanks for this day, for this time of worship, for everyone gathered here. God, we know that sometimes it's hard and rough. And you call us to be humble and kind and forgiving and loving. And man, we just want to be anything but. But we give you thanks, oh God, that you don't give up on us. You continue to pour out your grace upon us. You continue to pour out as much grace as we may need to get through any situation, conflict, disagreement. Lord, soften our hearts, open our eyes, that we may truly live as the people you have called us to be. We ask all these things in the holy and precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Wesley Word is a production of the Clemson Wesley Foundation. For more information about Clemson Wesley, check out our website or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, get out there and love your neighbor.